podcast is designed for Christian women who God has called to a career. Our goal is to identify the modern Esther in all women and to leave you feeling empowered with the mission to glorify God in your vocation. Welcome back to The Modern Esther as we get further along in Deborah. Um, We're excited to have everybody back here. Um, So first, before we get real started, we just wanted to give um, a little bit of a recap and kind of background on last last time's episode um, and kind of where we are in the book of Deborah. So um, Israel is at war with King uh, Jabin of Hazar, and he's a Canaanite king, Um, and the commander of the king's army is Sisera, and he's a key character in the overall story of Deborah, so just keep him in mind. Um, one thing we did want to clarify, too, is that in last week's episode, we said that Deborah, we thought Deborah reigned for 40 years. Um, we did a little more digging on that, and we found out that she was actually um, reigning over Israel for 60 years, 20 years before the peace period, and then there was 40 years of peace. So, um, so that's just a little bit of background, but what we're going to do today is... Um, go through this, the rest of the story of Deborah. So we've got the setting and kind of where we are at this point, but I want to go through the story and kind of um, the meat, I guess, of the story of Deborah and the action that she takes. But we don't just want to go through the story. Um, we want to point out the characteristics of Deborah along the way and how she exemplifies those characteristics. Yes, because, well, and as you'll notice throughout this story, even though it is only in one chapter, her characteristics and her quality um, I guess maybe, you know, of her anointing of this, um, calling that God has called her to be this judge actually plays a huge role in the story. So all of her quality is actually, it's very easy to kind of pick out with, um, all these different verses. So we're just going to start in Judges 4, 4 and kind of go through and pick out these verses as we read through the book of, um, Judges chapter 4. Deborah, the wife of Lapidoth, was a prophet who was judging Israel at the time. She would sit under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel and the hill of Ephraim, and the Israelites would go to her for judgment. So first, right away, we see that she is a judge. She's the first and only female judge, but also that she was a prophet. And we will see this again in verse 6 and verse 9. One day she was, one day continuing, it says, one day she sent for uh, Barak, son of Abnoam who lived in Kedesh in the land of Naphtali, she said to him, this is what the Lord God of Israel commands you. Call out 10,000 warriors from the tribes of Naphtali and Zubalim at Mount Tabar. And I will call out Sisera, a commander of Jabin's, excuse me, Jabin's army, along with his chariots and warriors to the Kishnon river. There I will give you victory over him. So you see her, Um, And if you're actually kind of reading along with us, or if you want to go back and read later, she's actually quoting as if speaking from the Lord. So again, she's exerting that, um, that prophet ability. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, and even, um, I think you can pull some other things from verse six as well. Um, She is a leader and she delegates uh, tasks to other people. And she's also um, respected by other leaders and then other leaders, or she, I'm sorry, she is respected by other leaders and she respects other leaders. Um, so she's prophesying and discerning God's will. And then she uses that ability to direct Israel to victory. 
Um, so she delegates to Barack in verse six, and then she ends up going with him in verse nine. Um, but we also see in the poetic version of Deborah's story in chapter five, um, chapter five, verse nine, she said, the scripture says, my heart is with the commanders of Israel, with those who volunteered for war, praise the Lord. So she is again, respected among the leaders. And then in verse 15, chapter five, 15, it says the princes of Issachar were with Deborah and Barak. They followed Barak rushing into the valley. Mm-hmm. And so it's actually, Amy makes a good point. Like she was a very good delegator and she definitely had respect for other leaders because Barak told her when she got, when Deborah uh, s- said that prophecy from the Lord, you know, go and I will give you victory over him from the Lord. Barak said, I will go, but only if you go with me. And then she responded in verse nine, very well, I will go with you. And I just thought that was, we both thought that was kind of interesting in a book I'm reading right now um, called the Deborah anointing, embracing the call to be a woman. Michelle McLean Walter says, um, honor can be defined as respect that is given to someone who is admired good reputation, good quality, or character as judged by their people, high moral standards of behavior. Barack honored Deborah's position in society. Deborah honored Barack's authority as commander of the army, and she allowed him to walk in his authority to gather men for the Bible for the battle. Even though she received the command from God, she delegated the responsibility to Barak to gather the troops. Deborah humbly submitted to God's plan and wisdom over her own. This was not an example of a woman, quote unquote, doing the job because a man would not step up as you might kind of first perceive that as he said, you know, I will go, but only if you go with me, but rather Michelle says it was a godly woman called by the Lord, sharing God's word in the manner and order God had clearly outlined. Barack honored Deborah's abilities and capabilities. So men must respect women's education, experience, and career obligations instead of expecting them to fill traditional female roles. If the CEO of a local bank loves making cupcakes for the woman's banquet, fine. But it sure wouldn't hurt to ask her to chair the finance board. I just love, Amy and I both (laughs) love that Michelle brought that up. Um, Amy actually said, oh, was that a man who wrote that? I said, of course not. But I mean, (laughs) I think that some men, some men might think this way. Yeah, yeah, maybe. I just think it, um, it brings to light a lot of like issues that women face, but I think it's, I don't know. I loved it. I like her little fiery. Apparently, this is a great book. This is a really good book. Yes. Check it out. The Deborah Anointing Mm -hmm. um, by Michelle McLean Walters. Um, And it's very good. Um, She she definitely goes through a bunch of our points and then a couple of other ones. But she, um, when she kind of said, you know, that whole thing, it does kind of make you think. And we're actually going to talk about this in a later episode about they weren't at competition to with each other, Barack mm-hmm. and Deborah. You know, Barack was the commander of the army. Deborah was the leader of the people. Mm-hmm. And so there's a clear distinction. And without both of them coming together to work with one another in the Lord's name, they wouldn't have been able to conquer Sisera. Mm-hmm. So she's really, really good at delegation. <laughs> yes, very good. Um, Deborah is also, um, obviously, we see early on in her story that she's a prophet um, so she's prophesying about the fall of Sisera, um, but she's not just talking about herself when she says that it will be at the hands of a woman. So, um, so basically she's saying, um, and let me see if I can find, I want to make sure I'm looking in the right verse. 
Um, well, I'll, and I'll we'll reference that, but basically, she's saying that nine. Um, so is it verse nine? Yeah, chapter four, verse nine. Um, yeah, but she's basically saying that um, that that if if Barack doesn't go on his own and Deborah goes with him, that's fine. But she's prophesying that basically he won't get the glory for that. A man won't get the glory for that. Um, but we think it's interesting because she's not actually referring to herself as the mm-hmm. person who's getting that glory. And um, we'll talk a little bit more about JL. And she's a, obviously a key character in Deborah as well. Um, we'll get a little further into that. But basically, Deborah's saying another woman is going to get this glory. So we just want to make that distinction. Um, and like you mentioned, Danielle, um, in talking about the book, Deborah is not threatened by that prophecy, so it's really neat to Mm -hmm. see a woman who is encouraging of another woman. Because you guys know, so many times women, because we have to compete sometimes in a man's world, um, we tend to step on other women along the way, and that is really not what Deborah is doing in this situation. She realizes the the authority position she's in, and she's certainly willing to um, let another woman get some glory through God, because that's what, ultimately, that's what God wanted. Mm Mm-hmm. And so picking up in verse um, 12, it says, When Sisera, so this is the commander of the Canaanite army, was told that Barak, son of Imam Abnoam, had gone up to Mount Tabor, so just like Deborah had said, had called for 900, he had called for 900 of Zion chariots and all of his warriors, and they marched from a city, I'm so sorry, I cannot pronounce, to the Kishon River. So exactly what Deborah was prophesying about. So then Deborah said, so this is her mark. This is basically like what God told Deborah as soon as they get to the Kishon River, that's when you attack. So Deborah told Barak in verse 14, get ready. This is the day the Lord will give you victory over Sisera for the Lord is marching ahead of you. So here we see a major quality where she is faithful and she truly remembers whose victory this is. She's not saying, I told you this is where he's going to be. Go, Barak, have victory. You know, there's going to be a woman down there who's going to help you. No, she said, the Lord will give you victory, and she doesn't tell him how. Mm -hmm. Because it's not about anybody, any of these key players. It's about the Lord going ahead of them. Um, And in that, you know, being a huge leader, um, oftentimes it's, it's hard for a leader who knows, especially a leader who knows what's going to happen, to be extremely humble. And yet, again, she's just so humble in understanding her role in this uh, story. Yeah. Um, so, so what happens next? So Barak does lead the 10,000 warriors down the slopes of Mount Tabor into battle. And I'm reading um, verse 14. When Barak attacked, the Lord threw Sisera and all his chariots and warriors into a panic. Sisera leaped down from his chariot and escaped on foot. Then Barak chased the chariots and the enemy army all the way to Herosheth Hagagim, killing all of Sisera's warriors. Not a single one was left alive. Meanwhile, Sisera, who, again, guys, is the um, commander of this army, ran to the tent of Jael, the wife of Haber the Canaanite, because Haber's family was on friendly terms with King Jabin of Hazar, which also, remember, is the enemy of the Israelites. So he's a Canaanite king. Um, So we just think it's kind of time out, a little bit interesting point that um, Jael and her husband had familiar or or friendly ties, I guess, with the king who was Mm -hmm. the enemy of the Israelites. Yeah. And we didn't know, like, it, it doesn't say much about that. We don't know if they were spies. Right. We don't know if they were forced into friendly things. We don't know if uh, JL's husband had a place in society and the only way to protect his family was to, you know, have those ties. But we do know that JL 
was not happy with her situation. And uh, they, even though they had friendly relations, as it says in scripture, uh, were on friendly terms, um, she was not a friend of Sisera. And we see that it Mm -hmm. says, Jael went out to meet Sisera and said to him, come into my tent, sir. Come in. Don't be afraid. So he went to her tent and she covered him with the blanket. Please give me some water. He said, I am thirsty. So she gave him some milk. Ah, that's funny. I didn't even, he asked for water. She gave him milk. <laughs> um, but anyway, from a leather bag and covered him again. Stand at the door of the tent, he told her. If anybody comes and asks for you, if there is anyone here, say no. But when Sisera fell asleep from exhaustion, Jael quickly crept up to him with a hammer and tent peg in her hand. Then she drove the tent peg through his temple into the ground, and so he died. When Barak came looking for Sisera, Jael went out to meet him and said, Come, and I will show you the man you are looking for. So he followed her into the tent and found Sisera lying there dead with a tent peg through his temple. So this is pretty graphic. (laughs) Um, You know, you see a woman basically nail nail a man's head. In his temple. In his temple. So, um, and (laughs) I was always wondering why we didn't learn the story of Deborah as a child, and now I'm thinking <laughs> this <laughs> might be the reason. Yeah, that jail character. <laughs> but again, this is um, in verse, you know, and in, in continuing on in verse 23. So that day, Israel saw God defeat Jabin, and from that time on, Israel became stronger and stronger against King Jabin until they finally destroyed him, which we see in Judges 5:31. There was a peace in the land for 40 years after they defeated King Jabin. So um, this was successful. Um, their plan was successful. God's prophecy or Deborah's prophecy through Christ or through God actually came through. And on top of which was um, even more important that she said uh, it will come through the hands of a woman. Again, reiterating the fact that this was not through Deborah. Deborah was not talking about her hands. She was actually speaking of JL's. And we're actually going to talk about JL in a whole other episode. So she's a a very interesting character. God has showed us a lot we are studying her. Super exciting. She might be one of my new favorite characters. Um, but we're going to talk about her. So we're going to move on um, and talk about two more qualities that Deborah has that we see in Chapter 5, which is mm-hmm. the song of Deborah. Right, right. Um, so obviously she's a poet because Chapter 5, again, like Danielle said, is the song of Deborah. And so it's basically the poetic form of the story of Deborah that we see in Chapter 4. Um, even she alludes to her poetic nature, even in that chapter. So in verse three, for example, you see, um, listen, you Kings, pay attention, you mighty rulers, for I will sing to the Lord. I will make music to the Lord, the God of Israel. And I think it's neat in that verse too, because again, she's given that glory to God. Um, not only is she poetic, but she's also, um, considered the mother of Israel at the time during her rule. Um, in chapter five, verse seven, we see, there were a few people left in the villages of Israel until Deborah arose as a mother of Israel. Mm-hmm. So among all this um, destruction, really, she kind of arises and not only takes a leadership role, but like a matriarchal role as well. Um, and that's her final quality that we uncovered. Um, so so you have this woman who is a mother, a wife, a leader, a poet, a prophet, a delegator. Mm-hmm. I mean, she seems to have it all. Um, so, Dee, Danielle, would you hire her? <laughs> yeah, if I if I had any power in the world, <laughs> I would probably hire her. I would probably hire her or something. Yeah. yeah. I mean, her, her, I mean, Deborah on paper is pretty legit. Yeah, truly. <laughs> but, you know, I don't even know if she cared about her paper. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's kind of what Amy and I were talking about, to have – 
a resume like hers is very intimidating Mm -hmm. and is, um, especially in that time period, um, would have, I mean, I mean, that's probably why she was where she was because Mm -hmm. she was just, um, breathtaking to behold and all that she was able to do. Um, but it is, it is hard in this, in the world that we live in when you are trying to, uh, find a job or, um, you know, move up in your company or move up in your career. Um, you know, for a long time in science, we have this, um, you know, this cute little quote, it's like publish or perish. Mm -hmm. So, you know, all of your publications will go on your CV or your resume. And if you don't have a lot of publications, even if you're not necessarily first author on those scientific journals, just having a multitude of publications is a big deal. And so, um, and and that's, you know, that's probably a topic for another conversation because some of those people don't pay attention to how good the quality of the science is, but like, Mm-hmm. It's just all about how much can you get on paper. Right. That's right. the society we live in. Like how many service, you know, I'm in dental school now and I feel like it's like how many leadership roles can people get? Yes. And how many service opportunities can they go on? And they lose maybe sight of what maybe why they're doing it. I mean, I've done that before and and Amy and I kind of was discussing this and you know, thought like a great resume is and not a definition of us, but then what if you have a poor resume? You know, that doesn't necessarily break us either. Right, right. I think, um, and we both have shared a little bit of our own backgrounds, but, like, it's funny that you say that, Danielle, about the publications and things like that, because in law school it's very similar. It's like, you know, on our resume we're expected to put our GPA and our class rank on there mm-hmm. and publications if we're published, um, you know, what activities we, uh, as if law school is not enough taxing-wise, like, what extracurricular activities do you do? And, um, and I think that, like, I think what hit us with Deborah, just to compare our current situations, is Deborah didn't have, obviously, a paper resume, but Deborah wouldn't have cared. It doesn't seem like she would have cared to have a paper resume, because ultimately, everything that she was doing at you see from her own words, she mm-hmm. was glorifying God through that. Yeah. So she didn't care if they knew she was a prophet or a poet or the mother of Israel. All she cared about was what does God want from me? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, am I doing this for God? And I think that we have to ask ourselves that sometimes, you know, like I think it's so important. We know that God has called us to this, but are we trying to pat a resume or are we just trying to glorify God? Which is, which I think when you're glorifying God, he has a way of making things happen anyway. So he has a way of rewarding you for your diligence. Oh, Amanda was even saying that. Um, to me the other day, shoot, because we're getting our grades back now, so I'm just finishing my Pray first year. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I need to. Yeah. And um, and she was like, you might be pleasantly surprised. And she was talking about her first year in law school, and she was like, yeah. they, she was like, oh my gosh, like it's just crazy how God like rewards you, yes. rewards you if you're just faithful. But then even if He doesn't, you know, yeah. even if even if something happens and a class comes back terrible. Um, there's a reason that that class came back terrible. There's a reason that you didn't get that job or there's a reason for all of those things. And if you succeed, it's for God's glory. And if you fail, it's it's for for his glory. Um, it's, it's interesting when we kind of look at, uh, Deborah and we, 
you know, talk about her in comparison to the other judges, which I do think is kind of interesting and important. Many scholars will, and commentators will note Deborah to be the most godly of all the judges. And we briefly talked about the first three, but kind of following um, the judges that followed her that are more well-known, the ones that we did learn about, such as Gideon and Samson. Um, if you kind of compare Deborah to Gideon, Gideon I feel like kind of fell on the poor resume broke us. Mm-hmm. Um, if you look at his story, um, his story starts in Judges 6. And when the Lord calls upon him to kind of take over and raid the Midianites, Midianites, this is what he said. He said, the Lord turned to him in verse 14, 614. It says, go with the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. The Lord, Gideon replied, how can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh, and I am the least in my entire family. And the entire time you say this, God, I need a sign. God, I need a sign. And he's annoying. Gideon's super annoying. (laughs) And then I'm like, oh my gosh, though. I literally ask God for signs all the time. I I can relate to Gideon for sure. (laughs) Yeah. And I'm like, I must be super annoying because you never feel like you're good enough, right? Mm -hmm. And so then you look at Samson. And Samson never asked God for signs. (laughs) Not once, unless I'm I'm mistaken. He asked God for help when he was about to die, um, which is really interesting. I'll talk about that in just a second. But he seemed to be overly confident in his strengths. He actually had riddles for people. So he was, I mean, he seems to be pretty smart. He created this riddle in uh, Judges 14, 18, what is sweeter than honey, what is stronger than a lion. And then, you know, he replied, if you hadn't plowed with my heifer, you would have solved my riddle. Like he, he, he was overly confident in his ability to discern people. And yet he was deceived by the love of his life, Delilah, Mm -hmm. which ultimately in, um, you know, chapter 16, he says, you know, Delilah says, how can you tell me I love you when you don't share your secrets of me? And then his secrets is, if you know, my hair has never been cut for it was dedicated to God as a Nazarite from birth. If my head were shaved, my strength would leave me. So he was not just smart. He was also, he was also very strong, but not so smart when it came to women. Yeah. And that was his weakness. And he was yet, he was overly confident in his ability mm-hmm. of women. And so then you kind of see him cry to the Lord at the very end and come humble to the very end. But um, with all that to say, like, you know, I mean, when you are prideful about things, you will fall. But if you don't believe in God's ability to get you through, you're never going to be able to even enter the battle. Mm-hmm. So, here we have a perfect combination with Deborah of humility and bravery that can only come through faith, right? She's not doing all these things, like Amy said, to pad her resume, but to glorify God. So you can choose to be Gideon and scared to lead, a Samson, blind to your faults, or a Deborah who realizes that it was never about you to begin with. Amy, do you want to close this in prayer? Yeah. Lord, um, We just thank you so much for the opportunity to come and learn about you and talk about you and um, just understand your word better. God, we just pray that you are with us and with all the women listening here. Um, And just pray, Lord, that you help us to understand that 
um, first of all, we're daughters of you. Um, that is where our identity rests. It's not in our resume. Um, but Lord, just be with us. Give us the confidence that only comes from you. Um, help us to reach out and um, take steps, Lord, that we would only do because we have your strength. But Lord, also keep us humble and help us to um, not be overly confident in ourselves, Lord, but put that confidence truly in you, God. Um, we just thank you again for your beautiful word, Lord, and we hope that we can continue to learn from it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks, guys, so much for joining us this week. Amy and I are actually going to be probably FaceTiming on the next one because we're both going on vacation, but we want to get, we want to keep on track. We don't, we don't want to miss another um, episode of um, Deborah. And I think next week we are going to be talking about JL. Yeah. So, um, again, she's really interesting. You guys, there's a lot of um, neat things to pull out. So, um, tell your friends, spread the word again. We love to hear your stories. Follow us on iTunes, Stitcher, email us at the modern Modern Esther podcast at gmail.com and again follow us on Facebook The Modern Esther and have a great week you guys God bless bye bye